Let's all bow before Almighty Yahweh. Father, we come before you during this feast. We pray that what we do and what we've done have been honoring to you. We pray that we would seek you always, that we would strive to follow your ways, that we would strive to walk in your statutes and your commandments, that we would live according to your values and your ethics. We pray, Father Yahweh, that you would strengthen us physically and spiritually and in whatever way is required to better serve you. Father, we give you praise now, and we thank you for a wonderful feast. We pray that the folks that are here, they've been blessed, that they're going to leave this feast uh, rejuvenated in your word, in your truth, and with the fellowship of those here. Father, we just give you praise. You are the great I am, and we acknowledge you in all ways, and we pray that your spirit, your presence would always be here, that it would guide us always and direct our ways And that it would direct us individually and also as an assembly, as a body of believers in your son, Yahshua the Messiah. It is through Yahshua's name that we ask all this. Hallelujah. Amen. Y'all may be seated. It is a uh, blessing seeing everybody here today. I pray that y'all are enjoying the feast, that you've come and you've um, received a blessing from being here, and uh, that you are rejuvenated spiritually. I know physically we'll get rejuvenated after we get back home, but spiritually we're going to be rejuvenated and to have a yearning and a desire to do better, to live better. Whereas believers, you know, it's important that we understand that we are pilgrims living in a foreign land and that we are looking toward something better. And that's the message I bring to you today, this concept of us as pilgrims in this concept that we are looking, that we are searching, that we are striving for a cause and a purpose bigger and greater than us. And this, and that something is Yahweh's kingdom. Now, until this time comes, it's important that we keep a right perspective on this world and our involvement within it. You know, as we all know, this world is not Yahweh's world. You know, as we see in Scripture, we know that Satan is a mighty one of this world. We see that in multiple places. And we know that he is roaming around, striving to deceive and cause chaos And I think we can see that chaos and that deception today in this world. I want to begin today by looking at what inspired this message, the passage, and that's Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, 13 through 16 says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded. You see, they had faith. They were persuaded. They were convicted of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. You see, they understood that this was not their world, just as we should understand that today. It says, For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country, and truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country, that is a heavenly, wherefore Elohim is not ashamed to be called their Elohim, for he hath prepared for them a place. Now we all know many refer to this passage as a faith chapter. Within it we find people of incredible faith, men and women both. It mentions men and women such as Enoch, Abraham, Sarah, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Gideon, Rahab, David, many, many others. Men and women of faith, of valor, victory, of strength. You know, in many ways it represents a hall of fame of those who showed incredible faith throughout the ages. Now, as we see here, these all, though, died 
in faith. It says not receiving the promise. You see, they did not receive the kingdom. And that's one reason, by the way, we know that we do not go to heaven immediately after death because it says here that these great men and women of faith did not receive the promise. No, they died, and they're waiting for the promise just as we are. You know, the Bible describes them as strangers and pilgrims on the earth. This is also true for us. We, too, are pilgrims and strangers upon the earth. And that's such an important concept in this day and age. You know, as believers, we need to remember this. We need to remember that we, too, are strangers, that we do not belong necessarily here, that we are looking and we are searching for something greater. And that something greater, again, is Yahweh's kingdom. It is his prize. It is, it is the culmination of why we're here and what we're doing and why we're striving so hard to accomplish the goal set before us. You know, we're like Joseph living in Egypt or Daniel living in Babylon. The land that we are living in today is not Yahweh's land. And as believers, we need to be cognizant of that. We need to be cognizant of the land we're living in today is not Yahweh's land. Now, does this mean that we must physically separate ourselves or to remove the voice that we have within this nation? I believe the answer is no. You know, we certainly see that men like Joseph and Daniel, they had a voice. They were present. They were active. In fact, both of these men had great influence, political influence, and positions within these nations. You know, so as believers, what does this mean? What does it mean to live as pilgrims in a foreign land? You know, we're pilgrims in the sense that we must be cognizant, we must recognize that, again, this is not our Father's world. This is not our world, you know, the Yahweh's world. And because of this, we must show a separation when it comes to Yahweh's worship, his ethics. That's where we really must show a distinction. His worship, his ethics, his morality. And, you know, we certainly see a difference, don't we, today, between the morality of our Father's word and the morality, or the immorality, I should say, that we see in the world today. Very, very different. Very different. And we need to show that separation as his people. This also means that we must keep a perspective of what is happening in this world. You know, I'm sure that we're very aware that this is an election year. If you don't, well, you know now. This is an election year. And we're seeing a lot of chaos. You know, I have no issues with voting. But as believers, we need to remember that no matter what the outcome is, that we need to be content, that we need to have faith in Yahweh, that we need to be, again, aware that this is not Yahweh's world. And that no matter what happens, this is not Yahweh's world. And, and Yahweh is going to see us through in the end. And I know that many people, many believers, are concerned about the election and the direction of this nation. And you have right to. I, too, have many concerns about what we're seeing in this nation and where it could possibly go after the election. But again, we need to be cognizant of the fact that this is not Yahweh's world. No matter what happens in the coming election, I believe that we will continue to see a moral decline in this nation. No matter what party is victorious, we will see a moral decline in this nation. You see, politics can't save this nation. Again, I have no issues with voting. But politics, I know at the end of the day, will not save this nation. If we would see any change in this nation, it would have to be the people of this nation at large to rise up and to realize that the values and the ethics that we see in this world is not, are not the values and ethics that we should have. And, you know, I don't see that happening. I don't see that happening. Maybe it will, but I don't see that happening. 
And again, this is why it's important that we remember who we are as believers. And that no matter what happens in this nation, that we have a promise greater than anything this current world can offer. When Yahweh comes, I'm not going to speak about the kingdom. I've already done that. But we know that the kingdom is going to be a phenomenal place. A place of blessings unthinkable. You know, we know that Paul speaks about this. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard. We can't even imagine the great things that await us in Yahweh's kingdom. And again, this is where we should be focused on. This is where our concern should be. Again, I'm not saying don't have a voice. But what I'm saying is no matter what happens in this world, we need to be cognizant that this is not our world. And that as believers, we should not allow these things to concern us. We should press on. We should focus on what really counts, what really matters. You know, chaos comes and goes. We've always had issues in this world. From the very beginning, we've had issues. And that's never changed. I was speaking to a state representative one time, and we were lamenting about the the chaos and the the, uh, corruption we see in the political system. And she says, you know, if you study this out, the same chaos and the same immorality in many ways was there in the beginning. So really nothing's changed. We know that Solomon speaks about this. I'm not going to turn there, but, you know, what has been will be again, he says. It's just a cycle. Man's heart, man's imagination, man's sin, man's corruption has always been there. It will always be there until Yahshua comes and, and rectifies that problem. So, again, we need to be aware. We need to be cognizant. We need to, be, uh, we need to realize that this is not our world. Now, in 1 Peter 2, starting in verse 11, Peter also speaks about this concept of strangers. 1 Peter 2, 11 through 13, it says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain, he says, from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul, having your conversation or your behavior honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may, be, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify Elohim in the day of visitation. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for Yahweh's sake whether it be to the king as supreme. So again, we see here Peter using the words of strangers and pilgrims to describe believers in this day and age. In the Greek, the word stranger refers to a by-dweller or to a foreign resident. In like manner, the word pilgrim refers to someone living in a foreign land. So these are related. They basically mean the same thing, referring to a foreigner, someone living in a land, not their own. Or I think that's a pretty good description of us no matter what citizens we are part of. This is not our land. And our citizenship is not now. Our citizenship is somewhere afar off when Yahshua returns. That is our citizenship. That is what we're all seeking after. You know, the reason, again, this is so important is we need to realize that this world, again, is not ours. But it's the world we're, we're seeking after, the one that will come after. You know, this is the same message as we saw in Hebrews 11. You know, again, these great men and women of faith they realized this lesson. They realized that this was not the world they were living in. Whether it was Egypt of old, whether it was Mesopotamia, whether it was Babylon, whatever ancient empire might have been, they realized that this was not their world and they were looking for something greater as we are. And that's really the message we find today. And that's the message I want to convey. Peter says here that we must abstain from those things that offend our Father in heaven and do those things that are counted as good works that glorify Yahweh. Now he closes here by saying that we should submit ourselves to those in authority, including the king. Now, what about those scenarios where those in authority defy Yahweh's word? We're often asked about this, and as you can imagine, we're asked about this quite a 
a little bit more today with, with uh, I believe, some of the tyrannical uh, rule that we are seeing in some of these states. You know, we see examples like this in Scripture. You know, one of the more notable examples is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. At one point, they were told by the king, you got to bow down and you got to worship this image. Now, we probably all know the result of that story. They refused. They refused. And because of that, these three men were thrown into a fiery furnace. But as we also know, Yahweh delivered them from that fiery furnace. But they refused to obey the orders of the king in that respect because, again, that would defy Yahweh's word. And we worship one mighty one, and that mighty one is Yahweh, and only him do we worship. You know, we also see an example of civil disobedience in Acts 5, where Peter and the apostles refused to speak in the name, refused not to speak, I should say, in the name of Yahshua the Messiah. They were told not to, and they would not listen, because, again, they understood that this is something that Yahweh ordained. This is something that was required by them to speak in the name of Yahshua the Messiah, no matter what Jewish authorities would dictate otherwise. They would continue to speak in that name. Now, saying all this, we should submit to man's authority as long as it doesn't contradict or go against Yahweh's word. As Paul says in 1 Timothy 2, verse 2, the goal of a believer is to live a quiet and peaceable life. And I believe that's an important concept. So we should not be seeking disobedience, civil disobedience, unless we must. We should not be defiance to the government unless we must. Because the goal, the first goal of us is to live a peaceable life to obey the government, to obey those in authority so that we can worship Yahweh. As believers, we should set an example of civility and good manners. Now, as we also see in Matthew 7, starting in verse 13, living for Yahweh in this day and age is not easy. It says, enter you in at a straight gate, for wide is the gate, we've already, I think, heard this, this feast, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is a gate and narrow is a way which leads unto life. And few, notice that few, few there be that find it. You know, speaking about few, we know that Yahweh works with a small number. We see that all throughout Scripture. We certainly know that the Israelites were few. They were smaller of all the nations. And that's one reason why Yahweh chose them. It's not the only reason. The main reason was we... We know that the covenant that he had with Abraham, and he was going to be faithful to his word. But we know that they were few. We also know, see examples like the New Testament. They were few men, few apostles. Even the assembly of Philadelphia in the book of Revelation, it says they had little power. They weren't mass. In fact, you know, some people will ask over the years, I've had many people ask, how can you be right and everybody else wrong? I've even had people say, oh, I'm going to go to the Roman church because they're the lar- largest church and they must be right. My response is, when in history of mankind has a majority ever been right? Was it during the days of Noah when only eight souls were saved? Was it during the Roman Empire when you had a small group of believers? When was it? When in the history of mankind has the majority ever been right? Well, if we consider that, we will understand that the majority has never been right. And the majority will only be right when Yahshua the Messiah is ruling over this earth. Then the majority will be right. But until that point, the majority will never be right. And you know, as believers, we need to stand in boldness, by the way. We should not allow people to intimidate us, to threaten us, to look down upon us because we be few. We need to realize that we have something they don't, and that is the truth. 
Now, that's not to criticize them, by the way. That's not to look down upon them. But we need to also realize that we worship a mighty one of this universe. We worship a, 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 a Savior who died and bled for us. And we need to really put our hope in him, in them, and, and realize again that we have a strong tower, that we should never be bashful of what we believe in. You know, Yahshua here confirms that Yahweh's truth isn't easy. It's not easy. Now, how do most view the Bible, the word of Yahweh? Where most view it today as easy, as broad. You know, they really don't want to get too specific. They don't want to really commit. For most believers, the specifics are unimportant, and Yahweh's commandments are unneeded. You know, the majority today are convinced that our Father in Heaven simply accepts everything and anything. You see this in these churches who now are accepting homosexuality and these other abominations. You know, I don't know how more clear or clearer Yahweh could have been or Yahweh could be within the word about these sins. And yet these ministers somehow read over this, ignore this, even though Yahweh calls it an abomination. You know, the fact is, we find a very different message within his word. Yahshua states here that the truth is straight and narrow. It's not easy. Yahweh's not all accepting. There's not many paths to salvation. That's another lie and a misnomer. You know, people will say, it doesn't matter. You know, we're all going to get there in the end. Where Yahweh shows great compassion and mercy, and I do believe if we're ignorant of his truth that Yahweh's going to show compassion in the end. But if we are deliberately and willfully defying his word, you know, some people, uh, as I've heard one minister say, they are stupid on purpose. They're willfully ignorant on purpose because they refuse to believe because they know the result of that belief, and that is they must do something. So they are willfully ignorant. Or for those who are stupid on purpose or willfully ignorant, they're going to have to deal with the consequences because they knew something, and they chose to ignore that truth. But if somebody is ignorant... Truthfully, well, I believe that Yahweh was going to show mercy upon them, but many, many people, they want the broad way today. They want the easy way. They don't want to sacrifice. They don't want to live according to Yahweh's word, to be told what to do and how to live. Or they're going to reap what they sow, as we find within the word. And that's what it says. A man will reap what he sows. If we reap rebellion and sin, we're going to sow death. And that's what scripture says. That's just the way it is. You know, in Proverbs 14, verse 12, we find an invaluable lesson for today. And this is something that really should, should hit home for us believers. It says there, there is a way that seems right to a man. But in the end, it does what? It says it leads to death. You know, we can find many, many examples of this today. Just a few here. Many will say, or it doesn't matter what we call him what name we use, doesn't matter what day we worship on, doesn't matter if we observe days like Easter and Christmas, after all, we're doing it for the family. I know that living together is a sin, but it's a modern age. I know homosexuality is wrong and homosexual marriage is wrong, but who are we to judge? You know, I could go on and on. I mean, there's many, many examples of this ideology within the world today. You know, it really doesn't matter what we believe as people. It really doesn't. It doesn't matter what I believe. It doesn't matter what you believe. The only thing that really matters is what Yahweh says within his word. That is the only thing that really matters. You know, he has defined morality. 
He has defined truth. You know, it just drives me nuts, these concepts of people like, well, what is truth? And this thought that truth is subjective. No, truth is not subjective. Truth is Yahweh's word. That is truth. Now, we can choose to ignore that definition. We can choose to ignore that fact. And Yahweh's given us all that ability to choose. But he also has warned us of the consequences of that choice. He says here that we're to follow his truth and make a separation to show a difference. This, again, means that we must fully embrace him, that we must walk according to his ways and not according to man's ways, not according to our own ideology, our own ways. You know, we see in Mark 8, verse 34, that we must even deny ourselves. Mark chapter 8, 34 through 38 says, And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples, also he said unto them, Whoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his stake and follow me. For whoso will save his life shall lose it, and but whosoever shall find his or lose his life for my sake, and the evangels the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? You see, this is how important it is. If we're not doing what is right and sacrificing and submitting ourselves, we may lose our own soul, it says. Or what shall a man give in exchange for a soul? Whatsoever, therefore, shall be ashamed of me and my words in this idolatrous and sinful generation. And certainly we see the same in our world today. Of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. Now we see here that if we want to be part of our Savior, then we must do what? It says here that we must deny ourselves and we must humbly follow him. You know the word deny here means to deny utterly, to disown. Do we deny ourselves? Do we disown ourselves? Do we always, always focus on him first? Now this doesn't mean that we throw out other responsibilities, but it does mean that we place Yahweh's word first within our lives. You know, as pilgrims in a foreign land, this is our obligation to pursue him. That's the one thing all these great men and women of the uh, faith chapter had in common. Yahweh was number one. Yahweh was first. And they conducted themselves according to that principle. They lived according to that principle. They behaved according to that principle. They worshipped according to that principle. That Yahweh was number one. And everything else was secondary. And you know, that's such an important message. To realize that Yahweh should be number one and everything else within our lives is secondary. And if, you, and if we believe that we are immune or exempt from that, think again. I think we all fall short in that way, don't we? We all fall short. Do we fully, fully deny ourselves? Do we fully disown ourselves? Do we fully submit ourselves to Yahweh's will? Probably not. Probably not. I think we can do better. We can all do better. I can do better. You know, this includes keeping his commandments, his Sabbaths, his feast days, showing love and compassion to our neighbor. You see, the life of a believer is kind of a hard thing to achieve because I believe that you need a balance. You need a balance between obeying Yahweh's word, not compromising. But you also cannot forget about the weightier matters. And that's such an important concept, to remember love and judge 
and judgment and and mercy and compassion. And I've seen many believers over the years, they do a great job keeping the Sabbath and doing those things. They dot every I and they cross every T. But they don't always show that compassion they should. Or Yahshua did both. I like to describe this assembly as conservative, compassionate. We're a very conservative assembly. But I've seen the other side too, and we strive to be very compassionate. Realizing that not everybody is on the same level. Realizing that we're all searching and striving to learn and understand. You know, our Father in Heaven wants a people that are going to follow in the footsteps of his son, Yahshua the Messiah. He is a pinnacle. He is the purpose. He is the, as we learned last night in the study, he is our goal. He is our telos. You know, when Yahshua showed love and compassion to all of mankind, he also made a distinction between right and wrong. He never compromised worship, and neither should we. Now, starting in 2 Corinthians 6, starting at verse, uh, beginning at verse 14, we find why making this separation is so important. 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 18. It says, Be you not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion or agreement has light with darkness? What concord has Messiah with Belial? Or what part hath he that believes with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of Elohim with idols? For you are the temple of the living Elohim, as Elohim hath said, I will dwell in them, and I will walk in them, and I will be their Elohim, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be you separate, saith Yahweh, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and I will be a father unto you. And you shall be my sons and daughters, says Yahweh Almighty. You know, Paul begins here by saying that we're not to be unequally yoked. In other words, we must make a separation and a distinction when it comes to Yahweh's worship, to his truth, to his word. He asks here, what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion has light with darkness? What concord has Messiah with Belial? Belial being a euphemism for Satan the devil. Understand that in each of these cases, we find a contrast between the holy and the unholy, between the common and the uncommon between the clean and the unclean. You know, let me ask, from a spiritual standpoint, why are we to make a distinction? Why must and why is it so important that we make a separation? Whereas Paul says here, we are the temple of Yahweh. Now think about that concept for just a moment. We are the temple of Yahweh. Think about how important that temple was in the Old Testament. Think about how strict Yahweh was with his temple in the Old Testament. And it says here that now we are these temples. And as such, we have a responsibility to ensure that these temples are clean, that they remain pure as believers. This includes both, I believe, spiritual and physical impurities. Let me give you some examples of spiritual impurities. These may include things like the Trinity, the rapture, Easter, Christmas, which are all absent from the word, or anything else that would defile, that would go against, that would contradict the morality, the truth, of Yahweh's word, fornication, adultery, tattoos, other abuses of the body would include physical impurities. Can you imagine somebody taking graffiti and putting it all over the temple in the Old Testament? Wouldn't that be a shameful thing? Or when we do like items to our bodies, we are doing the same, I believe. Again, we're the temples of Yahweh, and we must keep it clean and from defilement. Now, what's the blessing for those who keep the temple clean? 
What does it say here? What does Yahweh promise to every believer who maintains that purity? Well, Yahweh says here that he's going to dwell in us, walk in us, and he's going to be our Elohim. And we, in turn, shall be his people. You know, this is a blessing for keeping our temples clean. This is a blessing for following him first. This is a blessing for making sure that he is our priority. This is a blessing of living a life that reflects his word. This is a blessing that is when we obey and we follow the examples of our Savior, Yahshua the Messiah. This is the result. This is why we're doing what we're doing. So that Yahweh will walk in us and dwell in us. And that we, in the end, will be the sons and daughters. This is why, again, we're doing what we're doing. You know, another way of viewing this is maintaining versus quenching Yahweh's spirit. You know, there are some people who don't understand that we can quench the spirit. We can quench the spirit. You know, Paul speaks about this. He says, don't quench the spirit. This is how Yahweh indwells within us. We know this is through the Ruach HaKodesh. This represents Yahweh's essence and power. When we keep our temples clean... His spirit flows within us. But when we do those things that would offend him, we begin to quench that spirit. Now, that's not to say we can't repent. One of the things we know about Yahweh is he is a very benevolent, mighty one. You know, we can see this in so many passages. Psalms 103 is my, one of my favorite passages. I think I already said that. This feast with Psalms 103, you know, it talks about how he's going to remove our sin as far as east is from the west. He's going to no longer remember our sins And there's many, many other examples. You know, verse 17 here is a quote from Isaiah 52, verse 11. And Paul says there, come out from among them and be you separate. So again, we must make a separation. We must make a distinction. Again, we are pilgrims in a foreign land. We cannot live like this world. We cannot be like this world. And again, we must be very aware and cognizant that our world, that that our focus, that the kingdom we are searching after is not what we have now. This world has nothing to offer. You know, we may be around for 70, 80, maybe more years, but think about the contrast between that time and eternity. Can we even compare those items? Can we compare 90 years, and I'm being very generous, to eternity, to the concept of everlasting life in the kingdom. You know, verse 18 says here, if we, if we do these things that Yahweh promises again to be a father to us and we will be a sons and daughters, there's not a greater promise than the one we find here. And this is why we again are striving to achieve these, these goals and live as we are living. Now Paul in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 20 continues with this thought. He says there, verse 20 through 22, it says, But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils. You know, I know that the worship today is different. You know, keep in mind that a lot of this was very pagan worship, but I think we still see much of this today in the church if we look closely. Much of this foreign worship. But Paul says here what they were doing, they were sacrificing to devils and not to Elohim, not to Yahweh. And I would not, he says, that you should have fellowship with devils. You cannot drink the cup of the master and the cup of devils. You cannot be partakers of the master's table and of the table of devils. Do we provoke the master to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? You know, the last statement there is kind of a sobering thought if you think about it. Paul is saying 
Are we in a position to challenge the Messiah? Or of course not. Of course not. We know that Yahshua is going to be the judge. Yahshua is going to determine. And we are nothing, and we are not in a position to challenge him. We must comply and follow and do it his way. You know, when I read this passage, uh, there's a word that comes to mind, and that is syncretism. Most of us are probably familiar with this word. Webster's Dictionary defines this word as a combination of different forms of belief or practice. In short, syncretism is when we combine or blend pagan beliefs with Yahweh's truth, with his word. And one of the things we will not stand for here is syncretism, is this concept of blending and changing and altering. If we're going to follow Yahweh, we follow him as he says within his word. We don't change, we don't We don't modify. We do as he says to do without deviation. And that's such an important concept. Another lesson we find here is that those things done in this world are not of Yahweh, says that they are done to devils or to the evil one is really who they're done to. You know, I believe that many of the beliefs that deviate from Yahweh's truth are the result of Satan's deception You know, we see in Scripture, Satan wants nothing more than to deceive mankind. And he's free to do such. We know that. And by the way, we as believers are his greatest prize. I can assure you that he rejoices greatly when he's able to pull one of us away. And I see that. I see believers come and go. Believers who come in and they're immersed in Yahshua's name and they get wrapped up into something and and they wind up leaving. I've seen believers begin to question Scripture, for instance, and maybe they'll begin to begin with throwing out the Apostle Paul's epistles. And they eventually they throw out the Old or the New Testament. Maybe they go back and they refer to Judaism. Some become agnostic. That's where these things lead. That's where these items lead. So that's what we should not be doing as believers. Now, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 21, Paul admonishes this young minister, along with all others, to remain pure. He says there in 1 Timothy chapter 5, 21 through 22, it says, I charge thee before Elohim and the master Yahshua and assign the elect angels, that you observe these things without preferring one, in one before another, doing nothing but partiality, laying hands suddenly on no man, neither be partaker of other man's, other men's sins. Keep yourself pure. You know, there are several lessons here, several important truths. I want to spend a few moments and expound on each one. The first lesson here is partiality. Partiality. It says we're not to do this. The word partiality comes from the Greek proklesis. It literally means a leaning uh, towards. That is favoritism. You know, as Yahweh's people, we should avoid, we should refrain from showing favoritism or bias. You know, for example, we should never show favoritism because of someone's status or their wealth. Maybe we know that they're a wealthy person. I've seen that in the faith. You know, they're a wealthy person and everybody just kind of gravitates toward them. But we're not to do that as believers. We're to treat everybody equally. doesn't matter how much money you have or may not have. We are all the same and we... All are very valuable to our Father in heaven. He values us all equally. 
So we should not show partiality. But again, we're not immune to this. You know, I believe that we all have the potential to succumb to these types of injustices. And that's why we need to be aware of these things, to be cognizant of these items, to realize that it does not matter again the status, the wealth, who the person might be, prestige. These things are of the world. Yahweh looks upon the heart, and so should we. Believe me when I say that Yahweh's blessings are not based on these items. In fact, you know, I believe that often wealth and things of that nature are often more of a detriment. Now, it doesn't mean everybody wealthy is going to have a difficult time, but we know what our Savior said about those wealthy. Yahshua said for a rich man that it was easier for, for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom. Now, there's different views on this saying. I'm not going to go through those, but the bottom line is it's hard. It's really, really hard for a rich man to, go th- to, to make it into the kingdom. And the reason is is because when we're wealthy, when we're rich, when we have abundance, it's a distraction. And it often pulls us away from the kingdom. Paul also tells this young minister here not to lay hands quickly on any man. You know, he's referring, I believe, the ordination of elders to the ministers. I've been around, I've been in the ministry for over 20 years, and my experience of the neglect of this command has led to many, many problems within the assemblies. You know, when we do not uphold the standards of Scripture, bad things happen. And it's just amazing, it's really that simple. You don't have to be eloquent with it. When we don't follow Yahweh's word, bad things happen. A child can understand this, but it's amazing how many people choose to compromise the word anyway. And I can tell you why, because it's easier that way. It's easy to compromise Yahweh's word. And I've seen many ministers over the years in different assemblies compromise the word. Because it's easier to compromise instead of addressing and dealing with an issue. But ministers must be willing to do this. They must be willing to set the standard. They must be willing to do those hard things to remain pure and to make sure that the assembly remains pure. So again, we find here that, that Timothy is told not to lay hands quickly on any man. You know, as I've, I've used this saying, and it's not my saying, but as goes the leadership, so goes the assembly. And that's a very true statement. And that's one reason why it's so important that ministers maintain integrity. And that's why the Bible even says, Paul says that a minister should be blameless. Now, no man's perfect, but they should strive for that that position and recognize that they have a very heavy burden upon their shoulders. Now, the last lesson here is this. We cannot partake or share in other people's sins. You know, this is a great reminder for us. This is fundamental fundamental of what it means to be a pilgrim living in this world, a pilgrim of Yahweh. You see, we're called to be holy. We're called to be, to, to, to be sanctified within Yahweh's word and understand that we can't achieve this status by engaging in the sins of others, by living a life, by acknowledging, by permitting, by promoting, by endorsing the sins of others. You know, as we've read, we must make a separation, a division, and do those things that are honoring to him and only him. Sometimes making this separation requires that we examine those who we call friends. 
And I think as believers, we should be doing this, especially those young believers. And I'm going to speak to the youth, the teens. You know, you need to really be aware of this and ask, those I'm with, those I associate with, are they living the values of Yahweh's word? But But that's also true for us. Are we living, are we associating with those who value Yahweh's word as we do? Do they live morally? decently? Do they reflect the truth of Yahweh's word? If not, we need to remove that influence and not to engage. You know, staying the course and not compromising is a a very, very hard thing sometimes to do, but it's an important concept. You know, Leviticus 10, starting in verse 1, we see an example of what happens when we deliberately go a different way, knowingly, and I'm sure we're probably all familiar with this example. Leviticus 10, 1 through 2, it says, And Adab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron took either of them his censer and put fire therein and put incense therein and offered strange fire, it says, before Yahweh, which he commanded them not. And then went out fire from Yahweh and devoured them, and they died before Yahweh. Where in this passage we find the sons of Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and they transgressed Yahweh's commandments by doing what? By offering strange fire before Yahweh. You know, they were warned not to do this, by the way. Some people say, you know, this seems a bit harsh. Or they were warned about this. We find here that Yahweh consumed them both with fire. Yahweh rained fire down from heaven, and he consumed them. So we find here the fallout for knowingly disobeying Yahweh's word deliberately deliberately disobeying Yahweh's word. They were commanded to make a separation, to show a separation between the holy and the common. And we find here that they deliberately ignored this command. Now, there might have been reasons for this. I'm not going to go into those, because at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter. They deliberately disobeyed Yahweh's command. And they paid a very, very high price for that disobedience. Now, you might ask, how does this relate to me? Whereas Nadab and Abihu were commanded to make a separation and worship, so are we. It is vitally important. I cannot impress upon you enough the importance, the urgency it is to worship Yahweh according to his word without deviation. I've seen more assemblies get into more trouble when we deviate and when we compromise his worship. And it's a very easy thing to do. Because it's hard to stay the course. It requires challenges and sacrifice and putting yourselves in positions that are not always comfortable. But we must, must always show that integrity. You know, do we find ourselves engaging or participating in activities that Yahweh would not approve of? And again, I'm going to speak again to the youth. I want the youth to pay attention to these words. Do we hang out with those who reflect Yahweh's word? What we watch on TV or the internet or listen to on the radio, is it appropriate? You know, one of the easiest ways to discern whether it's appropriate is to ask, if Yahshua was with me, would I be doing this? It's a real easy gauge. And I think most of us deep down, we know the answer. 
we know the answer. We know whether or not this is something we would be doing if Yahshua was with us. And I would say for all of us, for every single person in this room, for every person listening, that there are times that we would stop and then we would turn away if Yahshua was with us. We're again holy to Yahweh, and as such, we must show a difference in how we live. If Nadab and Abihu would have understood this lesson, they would have never been consumed with fire. And I'm sure if they fully understood the consequences, they would not have done what they did. But again, they deliberately, they deliberately broke Yahweh's commandment. And you know, one other thing, I think what this also shows is the seriousness of those who minister before Yahweh. Those who minister before Yahweh, we know that they are to follow and show an example above all others. In fact, we know in James, in the book of James, he warns, he says, don't let there be many masters or many ministers, is really what it means, over you. Why? Because he says they're going to receive the heavier condemnation. That's what scripture says. Not to allow many because they will receive the heavier condemnation. So they must be willing to strive to, again, have that burden upon them. Staying the course, and again, not compromising is not easy, but it's so, so important that we do as believers. It's so important that we follow in that way. You know, one of the greatest dichotomies and contradictions we find in Scripture is Solomon. I don't know what to think about this man or the fate of this man. I hope that he will be given an opportunity. I don't know that for sure. He did great things, but he also made many, many mistakes. We see in 1 Kings 1, 1 through 8, and then 9 through 13. So really, 1 Kings, I'm going to read this from Scripture. It's a lot to put on the slide. So 1 Kings 11, and we're going to read 1 through 13. It says, But King Solomon loved many strange women, together with the daughters of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Zidonians, and Hittite. You know, what did Yahweh say about many strange wives or many wives? He said, don't do it. Don't amass, if you're the king, many wives. He says, don't do it. And certainly don't go after foreign, which was pagan, is what it's referring to here. Don't do this, because they're going to turn your heart. He told the Israelites, don't go marry with these nations, because if you do, they're going to turn your heart away from me. Verse 2, And of the nations concerning which Yahweh said unto the children of Israel, You shall not go in to them, neither shall they come in unto you. For surely they will turn your heart after their mighty ones. Solomon clave unto these in love. So really, we can almost stop here. This, this was the issue. If not for this, I believe that Solomon would have had a very different outcome. But again, he deliberately defied Yahweh's word. He knew, he understood, and he still deliberately pursued these relationships. And he had 700 wives, princes, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For it came to pass when Solomon was old. Now I want to pause. Solomon was old. I do believe as he, gained, as, he, as he aged, he lost his discretion. And he allowed then these foreign wives to influence him. 
When Solomon was old, that his wives turned away his heart after other mighty ones, and his heart was not perfect with Yahweh as Elohim, as was the heart of David his father. You know, David, just real quickly, just a thought I had. Was David a perfect man? No, David was not a perfect man. David made some egregious mistakes. David made some egregious mistakes. Mistakes that we would never even fathom to make. I mean, the guy committed adultery. The guy committed murder. I mean, just horrible things. And yet it says here that he had the heart of David, or had Yahweh's heart within him. So even though he made egregious mistakes, we find here that he was blessed. Verse 5, it says, For Solomon went after Asherah, the Elohim of the Zidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. And Solomon did evil in the sight of Yahweh and went after went not fully after Yahweh, as did David his father. Then Solomon built an high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and the hill that is before Jerusalem, and for Moloch, the abomination of the children of Ammon. You know, I can't even imagine this. I can't even imagine. I mean, here he is in Yahweh's special city, and he's doing these horrible things, these, these atrocities, it's just, just almost unthinkable. And likewise did he for all his strange wives, and which burned incense and sacrificed unto their mighty ones. And Yahweh was angry with Solomon, because his heart was turned from Yahweh Elohim of Israel, which had appeared unto him twice, and had commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other mighty ones, but he kept not that which Yahweh commanded. Wherefore Yahweh said unto Solomon, For as much as this is done by thee, of thee, and thou hast not kept my covenant of my statutes, which I have commanded thee, I will surely bring the kingdom from thee, and I will give it to thy servant, which was Jeroboam. Notwithstanding in, that, in, in thy days, I will do it for David, thy father's sake, but I will rend it out of the hand of your son. So even there, you know, think about that compassion for a moment. Here, Solomon is literally turning this nation into, into this pagan worship. And even there, Yahweh showed compassion because of David. What an amazing thing when you think about it, the compassion, the mercy, the, the, the memory, the willingness to, to look beyond. You know, I share this with, with, with some people, and that is, I believe, in fact, before kids, I'm not sure if I really understood the love of Yahweh. And maybe I still don't. But I think with kids, it's helped me to understand that love between Yahweh and us. You know, I know any parent in this room would do anything for their kids, right? And if our kids are trying, if they are trying to do what is right, even if they are falling miserably short sometimes, we will go that extra mile. We will help them. We will, we will show compassion. We will show mercy. We will, we will uh, show kindness to them. And Yahweh is the same way. And to me, it's just encouraging to think of Yahweh in that way, that just as we love our kids, Yahweh loves us in the same way and would almost do anything for us, you know, including giving his only son. Verse 13, it says, Howbeit I will rend it away of the kingdom, but will give it one tribe to thy son for David, my servant's sake, and for Jerusalem's sake, which I have chosen. You know, we have here the son of David, a man that was blessed with incredible faith, we know when he took the throne that he was humbled. We remember that. You know, he was so, so humbled when he took the throne. 
He prayed to Yahweh, and I'm just a child. Who am I to lead this great nation of yours? And he prayed that Yahweh would give him wisdom and insight. And Yahweh gave him incredible wisdom and insight because of his humility. Because he recognized he needed Yahweh, just as we need Yahweh. But over time and as he got old, as he lost his discretion, we find that he committed sin. He married 700 wives, 300 concubines. And what was the result of this action? Or again, we find here through the text that these wives, these strange pagan wives, pulled his heart away from Yahweh. You know, I find here that he supported paganism by building pagan temples for his pagan wives. We see here that this affected Solomon's relationship again with Yahweh. Verse 4 again said that his heart was not perfect with Yahweh, not as David's heart was. Even worse yet, we find in verse 5 that he went after Ashereth, the Zidonians, and Milcom. We find Moloch mentioned here. You know, for those who know anything about Moloch, you just know the, the atrocities of this worship. They would offer their children. And there's discrepancies as to how they would do this, but many believe that they would burn them alive. Can you imagine burning your child alive? Such an such a unthinkable, horrible atrocity. And yet we find the Solomon, at best, per- permitted this to happen, at best. Not only did Solomon accept this pagan worship in many ways, and in some cases he apparently was guilty of engaging and committing this same form of idolatry. Now think about this for just a moment. This again is the son of David, the son of Israel's greatest king, a man who is blessed with incredible wisdom, says that he was the wisest man on earth during this time, exceeding the wisdom of those in the east and of Egypt. But we see that he was still led astray. What's the lesson for us? Well, the lesson is pretty simple. We, too, can be led astray. If Solomon can be led astray, I can assure you that everybody in this room, including me, can be led astray. And that's why it's so important that we remain humbled, that we do not compromise. I can tell you this. The moment we begin to compromise is the moment we begin to pull ourselves away from Yahweh's word. It is so vitally important that we understand the consequences of compromise. And again, that's why we're a conservative assembly. And I'm proud of that. We can't compromise. We shouldn't deviate. We must fully embrace. We must fully follow his word. Now, what was the long-term consequences for Solomon's sin? Well, we know that Yahweh tore the kingdom away from Solomon after Solomon during the reign of his son Rehoboam, tore the kingdom away from Rehoboam to Jeroboam. Now, he did allow Rehoboam to maintain Judah and Benjamin and some of Levi. But we find here the Solomon's sin not only affected Solomon. In this case, his sin infected the entire nation of Israel. Because of his sin, the entire nation suffered. And that's a lesson also for us. You know, sometimes 
We do stupid things, we do willful, deliberate things, and we don't realize the consequence. You know, people often don't realize how their sin affects those around them. A father who commits adultery doesn't only affect himself. That father also affects his wife, that father also affects his children. It may affect many others, and you know, that sin may affect multiple generations. It's so important that we're cognizant of our sin, that we realize that when we do things, that not only are those things affecting us, but many, many times they affect others. When people sin, good people suffer. Good people suffer. And, you know, frankly, I think that's why we see what we do in this world. You know, some people say, why do we see so much chaos? And why are good people suffering? Well, I believe because of sin. And the the sad reality is we suffer because of other people's sins. And this world suffers because of other people's sins. And again, this is why we must show a separation, why we must show a distinction. We are pilgrims. We are strangers in a foreign land. Let us not forget this lesson. Let us not forget this message. Let us realize that we're not here to find happiness. We're not here to be content. We're here to worship Yahweh. We're here to put him first. We're here to serve him. We're here to set an example. We're here to help others, but we're here to follow him. And we're looking forward toward a greater promise, and that is his kingdom. And that is why we're here. So I pray that we remember the lesson today. I pray that we would remain true to Yahweh, that we would strive always, because two days from now we're going to be leaving, and we need to remember who we are, and that is that we are children of Yahweh. We are not of this world, and we are striving to find a kingdom that is vastly greater than what we have now. May Yahweh bless you.